Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 80. Last week, I worked through the early history of the Ark of the Covenant, first mentioned in Exodus Chapter 25. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. When I wrapped up, King Josiah of Judah had the Ark returned to the temple, which is where I'll begin this episode. And with that, let's get started. Josiah took the throne when he was only nine years old, in 640 BC. His reign is best known for religious reforms. Also, in the 18th year of rule, so when he was still in his 20s, he had the temple restored. This is likely when the ark was returned, so that places the event sometime around 622 BC. Backing up a bit, one period I didn't have enough time to address last week was what happened to the ark between Solomon and Josiah. And for this, I need to lean a bit on archaeological evidence and some plausible but unproven theories. As for this archaeological evidence, it was found in the area around Kiriath-Jeorum, about 9 miles or 15 kilometers west of Jerusalem. I mentioned this city last week, and while it was on the border between the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, when the kingdom split, it would align with the northern tribes. There is evidence of religious activity likely dating to around the 8th or 7th centuries BC. This would have been after Solomon, who ruled in the 10th century and had the ark placed in the temple. It is also before Josiah. At this location, archaeologists have found a large elevated podium. It appears the podium was part of the northern kingdom, not the southern, which included Judah, and therefore Jerusalem, and Solomon's temple. If this elevated podium was where they kept the ark, which so far no evidence to support the theory has been found, but if it were there, there's no word on how it ended up there when the tribal kingdoms split. Of course, if it were in Solomon's temple in Jerusalem during his reign, and Josiah brought it back to the temple when he restored it, it had to be brought back from somewhere. But until more evidence is found, which may never happen, then we likely won't know its whereabouts during these few centuries. After Josiah, the next stop for the Ark wasn't quite as nice, at least the theorized next site. In 587 BC, the Babylonians attacked, then destroyed Jerusalem. Among the casualties was the recently restored temple, and that was the end to the building that bore Solomon's name and the ark essentially disappeared. The historic books of the Old Testament, in this case the books of Kings and Chronicles, don't mention it after the Babylonians. They also don't say if the Babylonians took it, but that's the general assumption. There is an apocryphal book, at least apocryphal to the Western churches, the book of 1st Estras. The Eastern Church considers the book to be canonical, it was part of the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, but that's not why I bring it up. In 1st Estras, in its first chapter, it reads, from the New Revised Standard Version, They took all the holy vessels of the Lord, great and small, the treasure chests of the Lord, and the royal stores, and carried them away to Babylon. End quote. 
While this doesn't explicitly say the Babylonians took the Ark, it certainly leaves room for it. In Jewish literature, specifically in rabbinical writings, there is a debate. One side maintains that the Ark was taken to Babylon. The other side of the coin holds that the ancient Hebrews hid the Ark from the Babylonians, and that the hiding place was possibly forgotten. More on all of the potential sites in a minute. There's also a 2nd century AD rabbinic work, the Tusefta, that claims King Josiah hid the ark along with the jar of manna, a jar containing holy anointing oil, the rod of Aaron which budded, and a chest given to Israel by the Philistines, possibly the same artwork that they gave when they returned the ark, like I covered in the last episode. It's written in these texts that King Josiah did this to prevent the items from being carted off to Babylon. They also claim that the Babylonians had already carried off other religious pieces, like what was mentioned in Estrus. But there's a problem with this theory, and that's that Josiah is thought to have died in 609 BC, and Babylon did not take Jerusalem until 598 BC, after a couple of sieges, the first of which was in 605 BC, and starting then, the Judeans paid tributes to the Babylonians, but Josiah wasn't the king then, Jehoiakim was. Then again, the rabbinic writers could have simply gotten the names confused. Their overriding point was that the ark, along with several other sacred pieces, were hidden away. A few rabbinic writers would also claim it was hidden on the Temple Mount, meaning the hill where the ancient temple sat. Then, towards the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, the ark is mentioned by the prophetical author, who was writing during the reign of King Josiah. In chapter 3, he wrote that in the future, the ark will no longer be mentioned, and the religion will morph into something else. He specifically said, And when you have multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, they shall no longer say, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, or be remembered, or missed, nor shall another be made. Later, Rashi, the 11th century French rabbinical writer, interpreted this as meaning, in his words, The entire people will be so imbued with the spirit of sanctity that God's presence will rest upon them collectively, as if the congregation itself was the Ark of the Covenant. In my mind, this is how Christianity interprets the religion. But that's a bit theological. Jeremiah and the Ark managed to get mentioned in the Deuterocanonical book of 2 Maccabees, in its second chapter, a passage likely written to explain why the post-exile temple was the legitimate place of worship, even without these sacred objects. It reads, In the records, it will be found that Jeremiah the prophet ordered the deportees to take some of the fire with them as indicated, and that the prophet, in giving them the law, directed the deportees not to forget the commandments of the Lord, or be led astray in their thoughts, when seeing the gold and silver idols in their adornments. With other similar words, he exhorted them that the law should not depart from their hearts. The same document also tells how the prophet, in virtue of an oracle, ordered that the tent and the ark should accompany him, 
and how he went to the very mountain that Moses climbed to behold God's inheritance. Pausing for a second, it's thought that the mountain referenced is Mount Nebo, located in the present country of Jordan, and thought to be the mountain where God allowed Moses to view the promised land. Unpausing. When Jeremiah arrived there, he found a chamber in a cave in which he put the tent, the ark, and the altar of incense. He then sealed the entrance. Some of those who followed him came up intending to mark the path, but they could not find it. When Jeremiah heard of this, he reproved them. The place is to remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows them mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things, and the glory of the Lord and the cloud will be seen, just as they departed in the time of Moses and of Solomon when he prayed that the place may be greatly sanctified. End quote. The location called the place in the last sentence is thought to be the temple in Jerusalem. Before completely exiting the religious part of the Ark's history, worthy of a brief mention is the thought of the Ark in Islam. There is a passage in chapter 2 in the book of Surah in the Quran thought to refer to the Ark, though it's not explicit. It reads, in English, so bear in mind that like so many things, things can get lost in translation. Quoting, Indeed, a sign of his kingship is that the chest will come to you, in which is assurance from your Lord and a remnant of what the family of Moses and the family of Aaron had left, carried by the angels. Indeed, in that is a sign for you, if you are believers. End quote. So, according to Muhammad, the writer of the Quran, Muslims would come to possess the ark. And if it were hidden somewhere in the Temple Mount, the Muslims conquered Jerusalem in 636 AD. But there's been nothing found that positively indicates the Ark was actually there then. Similar to what we saw in both rabbinic writing and the New Testament, Islamic scholars posited that the Ark contained specific artifacts, artifacts that overlapped with what was mentioned in the Judeo-Christian tradition. In the case of Islam, these included the fragments of the two tablets, presumably the Ten Commandments. It also contained rods, perhaps the rod of Aaron that budded. Finally, according to some Islamic scholars, the Ark contained robes, shoes, the mitre of Moses, and the vase of manna. A mitre, in this case, is essentially the cap worn by the priest. And that's the history of the Ark as found in both sections of the Bible as well as a small bit from the Quran, which still leaves an open question on where did it end up, and the theories are a plentiful. I've already mentioned how it could be buried in a sealed cave on Mount Nebo, put there by Jeremiah, having been warned by God of the impending Babylonian invasion, and he foretold that it would remain hidden, presumably at this location, until a time of God's choosing. Mount Nebo is about 29 miles, or 49 kilometers, east-southeast of Jerusalem, close to the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Of course, there's also the theory that it's hidden somewhere on the Temple Mount. This is a small plot of real estate, only about 37 acres, and is perhaps the most disputed land in the world. For comparison, a square mile contains 640 acres, 
so the Temple Mount is one-twentieth of a square mile. It's a historic religious site for three of the globe's major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. It's located on a hill in the old city of Jerusalem. Obviously, for Jews and Christians, it's important because it was the site of the holiest of places in what we call the Old Testament. For Muslims, it's their third holiest site, behind Mecca and Medina. They believe it was from this hill that Muhammad made a journey to visit with God. The site is a flat plaza surrounded by retaining walls, which includes the Western Wall, aka the Wailing Wall. This part was built during the reign of the legendary, infamous Herod the Great, as part of an expansion of the temple. The plaza is also where three important Islamic structures were built early on when the city came under the control of the Islamic Caliphate. These are the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Dome of the Rock, and the Dome of the Chain. There are also four minarets on the site. All along the perimeter are entry gates, most dating to over 1,000 years ago or earlier. As of today, there are 11 such gates in use. 10 reserved for Muslims, and the last for non-Muslims. While the mount is completely within the boundaries of Israel, the actual site is managed by officials aligned with the neighboring country of Jordan. People from every religion can access almost every part of the site, with the exception of the Dome of the Rock, where admittance is reserved for practicing Muslims only. Anyway, extracting myself from this rabbit hole, there are some who believe that the Ark could be hidden away somewhere on the hill, with some claiming it's still in a hidden basement room below the Dome of the Rock. Outside of the bounds of ancient Israel, there's the theory that the Ark is now in the central African country of Ethiopia, specifically at the Chapel of the Tablet at the Church of Our Lady Mary of Zion in Aksa. It's at this location that the Ethiopian Orthodox Tewahedo Church claims to keep it. Under heavy guard, in a treasury, meaning a room of safekeeping, a vault, near the Church of Our Lady Mary of Zion. But why Ethiopia? Remembering back several episodes, I covered how between about 900 BC and 1974 AD, so close to 3,000 years, that country was ruled by a single familial monarchy that claimed its heritage from King Solomon, the same King Solomon that ruled over united ancient Israel. One quick caveat, the 900 BC date is highly disputed, but this isn't an episode about Ethiopian history, and is instead about the Ark. According to their tradition, about the same time as the establishment of the dynasty, the Ark was brought to Ethiopia by a ruler known as Menelik I. The story claims that a replica was left in Solomon's temple, which helps to explain the narrative in the Old Testament after that period, like the story of King Josiah in Jeremiah. Since its purported relocation to Ethiopia, it's been under the guard of monks who are forbidden from even stepping outside of the church building. And yes, I did say church, as the religion that is allegedly in possession of the artifact is an offshoot of Christianity. 
There is an alternate theory that the Ark's potential journey to Ethiopia was not direct and instead included a couple of intermediate stops, one in Egypt and another on an island in Lake Tana in northern Ethiopia. These stops totaled about 400 years, so not mere pauses. Of course, both parts of the theory are highly disputed. The next potential, and of course disputed, location of the Ark is the Dumgi Mountains located in Zimbabwe, which is even further south in Africa. There, the Limba people claim that their ancestors carried the Ark to a cave in the mountains, after being told by God to do so. The mountains are considered their spiritual home. As for the religion of the people themselves, it's essentially a mixture of Jewish and Christian practices, hence the connection to the Ark. Their tradition describes the hidden artifact as being of similar size, carried on poles by priests, not allowed to touch the ground, and it was revered as a voice of God. It was also used as a weapon of great power, sweeping enemies aside. Sounds familiar. Some in their tradition believe the Ark arrived there via an indirect route, through Arabia to Yemen. It was then taken across either the Red Sea or the Gulf of Aden to the African continent, therefore bypassing Egypt and potentially never setting foot in Ethiopia. Then, another offshoot theory holds that the Ark self-destructed after arrival in the region. Their priest rebuilt a reproduction from memory, and may be using the text of Exodus. Allegedly, it was this replica that was stored in a cave, only to be uncovered by a Swedish-German missionary named Harold von Sikar in the 1940s. It would eventually end up in the Museum of Human Science in Harare, Zimbabwe. Some sources claim it has been radiocarbon dated to around 1350 AD, about the same time as a massive decline in the native Zimbabwe civilization. Which is an interesting story, but there are many holes in it. Holes like no one outside of the museum staff has laid eyes on the piece in years, and I could find no documentation confirming the radiocarbon dating, and many more holes. Then, there's something a bit modern and certainly interesting. These people, who are believed to have inhabited the region in southern Africa for longer than recorded, appear to have a genetic link to the people originally from the area around Canaan. Who knows? Certainly not me. Moving along. There are a few speculative writers who believe that amidst one of the European Crusades to Jerusalem, the Ark was carted back to Europe. Of course, this is built on the belief that the vessel was found in the Levant, so likely hidden away by someone, maybe somewhere in the Temple Mount. Which means it wasn't taken by the Babylonians and not returned, or by any of the other people I covered. After traveling back to Europe, it was then hidden away in one of several French cathedrals or castles may be taken there by the Knights Templar, where it remains hidden today, or lost. Or, as a few others have proposed, it was secretly crated and shipped to the United States for safekeeping at the outbreak of World War I. Another proposed location is Rome. Here the Ark is rumored to have been stored in the Basilica of St. John Lantern. 
This building was originally constructed around 324 AD, and the Ark was moved there sometime after that. But the Basilica burned twice in the 14th century, and if the Ark were there, it was likely lost in one of those fires. A 2nd century AD rabbi, Eleazar ben Jose, claims to have seen the mercy seat, so the lid, of the Ark in Rome, to the point of describing it as being stained with blood. He inquired about the blood, and was told that the blood stains were from when the high priests sprinkled it there on the Day of Atonement. And, if he did see it in the 2nd century, this was before the construction of the Basilica of St. John Lantern, so obviously at a different, yet unspecified location. Another theory, this one dating to the 21st century, claims that the Maccabees, when they came in control of Judea in the 2nd century BC, relocated the Ark to Mount Sinai. It would remain there until about 1180 BC, when Ralph de Sudeli, who was leading the Knights Templar at the time, discovered it. He promptly had it crated and shipped to his estate at Herdwike in Warwickshire, England. No word on what happened to it after that. In the early 20th century, members of the British-Israeli Association of London thought the Ark may be hidden underneath a specific hill in Ireland, a hill known as the Hill of Terra. This is in the area that's considered the seat of government in ancient Ireland, where the ancient Irish kings ruled from. The Brits began to excavate the entire hill, but the excavation was stopped before they leveled the hill, and it was stopped by the Royal Society of Antiquaries of Ireland. In the end, nothing was found. Then there's Egypt. When King Tut's tomb was uncovered in 1922, it contained a processional ark, sometimes referred to as the Anubis Shrine. Like everything found as part of this sensational discovery, photos were published. Some viewers, when seeing the shrine, thought it was exceedingly similar to what they imagined the ark to look like. And, it is a gold box with poles affixed through rings to its base for portage. But then there's the mercy seat. And instead of two cherubs facing the center, there's a single dog on top. A dog that looks like a solid black Doberman, with a really long tail. Not a small angel, a canine. In reality, it's an image of the ancient Egyptian deity of Anubis, who was imagined as a jackal. The shrine was also significantly smaller than the Ark. But then there's something not mentioned. Tut died around 1323 BC, and this somewhat similar shrine has survived since then, albeit in an extremely dry environment, undisturbed in a forgotten tomb. But it has survived, and the exodus is thought to have occurred around the same time. So, under similar conditions, the Ark could have survived too. Now, the Ark merits a final mention in the Bible in the book of Revelation in chapter 11. After the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, and the twenty-four elders fall on their faces, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, 
peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm, which is certainly a different take on the chest's final resting place. Finally, popular media. There's a 21st century fictional Danish film, The Lost Treasure of the Knights Templar. In it, it's claimed that the deadly power of the Ark was derived from static electricity, stored in separate metal plates, like a giant Leyden jar, an ancient capacitor slash battery, which is a tidy little explanation as to why the Ark wasn't to be touched, and it does away with the need of the power of God. Except for a small detail in Exodus chapter 25, verses 13 and 14. These passages show where the poles used to carry the ark were overlaid with gold. So, the priest carrying the ark would have gotten a nice little shock. I started out the last episode with references to Spielberg's 1981 film, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that's a good place to end this episode. In the movie, Indiana Jones, the titular character, claims, and this is a quote, An Egyptian pharaoh stole the ark from Jerusalem and took it back to the city of Tanis. A short time later, Tanis was consumed by the desert in a sandstorm that lasted a year, which certainly helped to keep the plot tight. But there is no historical basis for this. And I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to anyway. The movie was fiction. There was no German prop-driven flying wing. Those snakes needed a source of nourishment. Indiana didn't ride on the outside of a submarine across the Mediterranean, and everyone looked upon the uncovered ark without dying. It's a phenomenal cliffhanging story, not meant to be taken as true. But the ark was found in Tanis, in a similar environment to Tut's tomb and the Ark in the movie was constructed to the specs found in Exodus. And that's it for this episode. Join me next week when I'll dive into two elements mentioned as part of the Ark, the Mercy Seat and the Cherubs. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent in the comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.